Um, we are closing out a series um, uh, called Prosper the City. Uh, what does it look like for God's people to help a city like New Orleans or the city that we have been called to prosper? And so we're going to close out um, this week. We're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter 2. Um, and so uh, we'll be in the uh, we'll be in the NIV. So uh, I believe that's what's in the pews, and so um, you can use that um, as you need to. Um, so when I was in the ninth grade, uh, which is already a great story start. Um, I was invited to my first high school party. I was like, this is great, all right? It's gonna be awesome. I heard that there was a pool, there was food, and it was gonna be awesome. So I was like, I'm in. And so I got ready. I put on my swim trunks, my white, my white T-shirt, and we're talking like Hawaiian floral swim trunks. And so I uh, brought, my, brought, my, brought my towel, slung it over, didn't need a bag, didn't need a change of clothes. That would only weigh me down. So I'm going. And I get dropped off at the house, and I knock on the door, and uh, my friend answers. He's wearing jeans and like a polo. And so I'm like, okay, maybe he's going to change later. And so I kind of like look in, and like everybody's in like not swim attire. And so I thought, okay, I heard there was a pool, thus it's a pool party. And so at some point, there's some line where just because there's a pool and there's a party doesn't mean it's a pool party. And apparently for me, it was ninth grade. And so I didn't realize that. Apparently everybody else heard about it. I didn't. So I show up. I am ready to swim. Nobody else is. And so I was mortified. I was like, all right, I've got two options here. Parents are only about a block away. I can run. I'm wearing wearing flip-flops, but I can run. Or I can stay here, have a blast. It'll all be fine. So I stayed, it worked out, people actually ended up swimming, um, and um, everything worked out okay. But in that moment, I stood out with floral swim trunks. I stood out, and I was terrified. And so a lot of times, standing out, uh, going against the flow has kind of a negative connotation for us. Um, The idea of standing out in a group, in a crowd, in a room, whatever, terrifying even for extroverts, but especially for introverts, right? And so we just don't love the idea of being set apart in pretty much any way. Um, And so today we are in 1 Peter, and he talks about God's great work in us, this great work that God is doing with us and through us, but it requires being set apart. And it also requires a little bit of rejection, which we don't love either of those. And so um, just a little bit of context for um, chapter two is Peter opens by comparing the word of God and our hunger for that as a follower of Christ to the hunger that a baby has for a bottle of milk. And I'm not a parent yet, full disclosure, so this may, this may change later, but one of the most amazing things about observing a baby to me is when you just see the distress on their face go away as they get a bottle and chug that thing like it's their job, and their eyes glaze over, and it's just like all of their needs in that moment have been met. Nothing is wrong with anything in the world for them, and it just 
it's just everything's fine. Now, again, there's probably more amazing things that parents get to um, observe, but I am just fascinated by just the contentment that you can see on that baby's face when they are just able to chug that bottle. And again, there's probably some times where, where that bottle gets rejected, spit up, all the things. That's not pretty, okay? I totally understand that. But let's focus on the content uh, face there. So um, Peter, is obs- Peter is observing that we should hunger for the Word of God like a baby hungers for that milk and is satisfied by it. Now, that's one thing that we can, t- t- that we can t- take away from that is that we should hunger for that as well. But also, our understanding of God's will for our lives is probably about like the understanding of that baby to the world around them. So we are like babies in a whole lot of ways. So there's a lot that we can take away from that. He continues on, and he describes this work that Jesus is doing as the cornerstone of a spiritual house. And so the cornerstone being the most important stone, being the foundation, the, the absolute foundational stone that if you get that wrong, the rest of the house is in trouble. And he mentions that that cornerstone has been rejected by the builders. And so the world says Jesus is not the cornerstone, rejecting Jesus as the cornerstone. Then he goes on to say, but then the rest of the house is being built by living stones. The living stones being us. You and me as followers of Jesus making up this great work that God is trying to do in the world. That's amazing to me that all of these things that have been rejected by the world, God looks at and, and says, yes, I, wanna, I want to do my work through them. And so that's where we kind of pick up in verse 7 um, of, uh, or verse 9 of First of Peter uh, chapter 2. So if you will read with me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So we're going to look at three questions here. So obviously as a priesthood, as a holy nation, as a chosen people, we have been set apart. As a follower of Christ, 
You are set apart. And so that can be an intimidating prospect, and a lot of times we don't even know where to, where to start. So we're going to start with why. Why are we set apart? Why does God want us to live lives that are set apart? And so as a follower of Jesus, we have gone from not having an identity to having an identity. We have gone from not receiving mercy to receiving mercy. That's in verse 10. That is a big, sudden transformation. The people that Peter was writing to, there were a lot of people who for, who for hundreds and hundreds of years knew that the Jews were, were chosen by God. And then Jesus came and changed everything and opened that up everybody. And so Peter's talking to people who this is, this is big news. Now it's been a thing for us for a long time. So um, it occasionally starts to not feel as big anymore. But y'all, that is big news that, that we have the opportunity to have that relationship with God, that we have the opportunity to be a part of the chosen people. And so, but we have to live lives that are set Apart. So the first reason why is that God has given us identity. And so because we have that identity, we are set, we are set apart. That's just how it is when we are transformed in Christ. That is what we are called to. And so then in verse in verse in verse nine, it says, We have been set apart to, de- to declare his praises. The identity that we receive in Christ, the mercy that we receive is a result of a relationship with Christ, right? But it's not meant to only have a positive effect on our lives um, individually. It's not meant for us to hold on to. It's not meant to only impact our lives. It's meant to impact the lives of every single person that we come into contact with. That's our family. That's the people that we work with people at school, every single person that we interact with, we can have an effect on them that we couldn't have before because of a new identity in Christ. So we get a new identity, and then we use that new identity to have an effect on the world. So that's why. Let's look at how. All right. One of the most searched video topics online is how-to. All right, a lot of people probably should have done how to fry a turkey before they set their house on fire. We search for how to do everything. If there's anything that we don't know how to do in the house, we search for a how to. And so Peter breaks it down for us. How do we live our lives as a people set apart? Peter does a great job of uh, comparing the daily walk as a Christian to a war zone. That doesn't necessarily paint a super positive picture of our Christian walk. We don't get excited about walking into a war zone. People don't thrive in a war zone. That, that's not what happens in a war zone. And so he is, he is saying that the sin that we struggle with is a war for our souls. That's spiritual warfare happening on a regular basis in our lives. And that's the context with which we're supposed to live set apart holy lives. 
not the most ideal spot to be in. We can either take that and say, man, that sounds really hard. I don't necessarily want to, I don't necessarily want to do that. A lot of times we look at the Christian walk as a, uh, as a lazy river. And so there's a current. It's not strong, but there's a current. All right, hop on the tube, floating, having a pretty good time. If you lose something or uh, something's happening in the back, you just hop off the tube and then you walk upstream. It's not the easiest thing ever, but it's a very relaxing walk upstream. All right, and a lot of times we think that's what the Christian walk is. Everybody else is just floating floating over here, and I'm going to walk against the stream. I'm going to really do it. The Christian walk is not a lazy river. The Christian walk is a level six rapids where you are working with the most professional people in the world, life jacket, helmets, you've got oars and everything, and still you are like, I don't know if I'm going to make this. That's hard. <laughs> that's, not, that's not easy. But we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to know how to do that on our own. He Jesus isn't calling us to paddle upstream using our own power because, spoiler, it's not going to work. And so Jesus is saying that when we have a relationship with him, it's not going to be easy. There will be spiritual warfare all the time. But yet we are still called to live lives set set apart. All right, so that's the context for how, all right? Really easy stuff, right? How? How do we live set apart lives? Peter says to live your life in such a way. Live your life, keep your behavior excellent. Another version says keep your, keep your, keep your conduct honorable. Another version says to um, live live such good lives among the pagans, all right? So all of those things are pointing to living the life that God, has, that God has called you to, but doing it in such a way that it points others to Christ. He's not calling everybody to run away from the world and say, all right, I'm going to live a life for Christ. It's going to be in the woods, but it's going to be for Christ. It's going to be very hard for anyone in the world to be impacted by the life of a Christian if they never have an interaction with a Christian, right? That's pretty easy. So we are called to live the lives that God has called us to, whatever that is, whatever, whatever career, whatever activities, whatever groups you interact with, live your life in that group, in your job, in your home, wherever, in such a way that it points to Jesus. He closes out by, um, he uh, closes out that one part by saying that it points to Jesus so that they may praise your father on the day of visitation. If you've ever worked under a manager or ever been a manager of any kind or worked under anyone that was checking on you, Usually, just, I don't have any stats here, but I'm just going to guess, productivity typically increases 
when the person who is supervising you is within a close proximity, right? All right, so if you know that your boss is about to walk up and look at what's on at what is on your screen, or at the end of the day that you're going to have to report what you have done, you are hopefully going to be more more, uh, productive. This day of visitation probably points to when we meet Jesus. So whenever that is for each of us. But it also kind of has this connotation of being checked up on. If Jesus was checking up on your life on a regular basis, all aspects, I'm talking home, church, gym, school, teams, whatever, if he checked up on every single aspect of your life, how are we, how are we doing living an excellent life? A lot of us are really good at being intentional about, hey, I'm going, I'm going to be intentional about living a holy life at work. And I'm just going to model Christ at work. It's going to be great. Then you get home. Uh, everybody knows I'm a Christian here. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I don't have to model it. They know. We're supposed to live excellent lives all the time. And so that actually brings us into when do we need to live a life set, set apart. He closes out, with one of the topics that hopefully all of you spent your entire Thanksgiving dinner talking about, politics. And um, he says that you are to honor and obey these earthly authorities. Even in Peter's day, all right, it was tough. It was tough. There was a group of, there was a group of um, Jews who were saying, I'm not going to pay taxes to anybody except for um, God, I'm not going to um, recognize any king other than God. And their intentions were in the right place. Obviously, they were wanting to elevate God above all else. And that's what he wants us to do. The method was a little bit twisted. Peter doesn't want us to remove ourselves from the society that we live in. A lot of times, our go-to method as a set as a set apart people is to not be a part of whatever group it's hard to be a Christian in. And so we pull ourselves out. And so we say totally apart instead of set apart. God still wants us to be a part of our city. He wants us to love our city. We can't love our city if we're not in our city. God is not calling you to holiness just at home and ch- church. He's not calling you to holiness just on your team. He's not calling you to holiness just at school. He's calling you to holiness in all aspects of your life. In verse 15, he says that the good that we do will will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, unfortunately, I don't think this means that we will never have to interact with any foolish people, that no foolish people will ever say anything to us. Unfortunately, I think they're here forever. And so um, that's just how it will be. But what he is saying here is that our lives should be able to defend themselves 
we should be living lives in a way that our lives don't need defending. Our lives should speak for themselves because we are pointing people to Christ by the way that we live, especially when it's hard. So in the spots where it's like, man, it would be a lot easier to blend in here. Maybe, maybe your family are not believers. And so when you're with your family, it's like you flip the Christian switch off. Or when you're at work, just, fl- just flip it off. We can't have a switch. It's always got to be on. Because once we, once we turn it off, there's spiritual warfare all the time. That's what he talked about earlier. So if we flip it off, we are opening, our, we are opening ourselves up to attacks from the enemy. So you've got to keep that switch on. And it's hard. And it's exhausting. And it can take an, and it can take an emotional toll on you. And so he's not saying it's easy. That's why he's, he is reminding us of it. So where does this leave us? So what do we do with the why, when, and how? How does this affect us living here in New Orleans? We live in a city that is very unique. <clears throat> it prides itself <clears throat> on spending, standing out. So um, a lot of you may have um, heard <clears throat> the, the start of this and said, I am already set apart. I live here, so I'm good. I'm covered. And so, but that's not what he is, what he is, what he is, what he is saying here. He wants us to make sure that we don't have an identity crisis as followers of Jesus. He has given us a new identity, but yet we identify with a lot of other things before we identify with Christ. We talked about idols last week. We stumble into idolatry sometimes without even knowing it by elevating things above God in terms of importance. And if you say, oh man, I don't have any idols in terms of my relationship with Christ. I come to church once to twice a week. So I have blocked out three hours of my time to live a holy life. It's great. Jesus isn't asking for three hours of your week. He's asking for all of the hours of your week. And so while plugging in with a local body can be an indicator of maybe other idols in your life of, hey, maybe I have elevated other things in my life if I can't find an hour or three hours a week. God is asking for all of the hours of our week. And so that is the most important thing there. He's not talking about being legalistic. He's talking about a relationship that we want to grow in. When a baby drinks milk, when a baby eats, over time, it's going to happen. That baby's going to grow, all right? And so we don't want to not be feeding ourselves what we need to grow in Christ. We will also have a very hard time living lives set apart from Christ or from the world in Christ if we are not growing. We can't be spiritual infants our whole lives. We eventually have to grow into spiritual spiritual adults. 
where we are feeding ourselves and growing in, and growing in community with, with each other and helping others grow. And so, um, in verse 9, he says, Christians are a chosen people, a holy nation. And then in, in verse 11, he, he describes us as foreigners and exiles. That has a temporary ring to it. All right? You are here temporarily living life. Don't get so hung up on blending in while you're here that you never live a life set apart when you're in heaven eternally. You're going to look back and say, man, that was, <laughs> what, if, what did I do? <laughs> I was only there for this much, and, I, and it is gone. We only have this life for a very short time. We are foreigners. We are exiles. Exiles are not the people who are welcomed in at the table saying, come on in, exiles, let's do it. It probably should be, but it's not. And so if that's who we are in the world, we're going to get rejected. We are the stone that the builders rejected, but we are the stones that God has chosen to do his work. The only way that we are an that we are an effective stone in the spiritual house that God is building is if we are constantly seeking to live a life that is excellent. Are we going to mess up? Oh, 100%. But we are striving to be more like Christ and to grow up into the likeness of Christ. Not into the likeness of the world. That's not going to help you much. The Christian life is tough. It's that rapids. It's not a lazy river. Don't lose heart in that. Because the God who called us out of darkness and gave us new life is not going to leave us hanging. He will not abandon you. He will not, he will not forsake you. So this Christian walk is not a walk on your own. It's a walk with the Lord. And so I don't know what that looks like for each of you. I don't know how many people in this room have a relationship with, with, with Christ or what the quality of the relationships with Jesus are like in here. But we're going to have a time of response in a minute where um, if you would like to ask more questions about what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ, we would love to answer those. We would love to pray with you. If you are struggling with the, with the spiritual warfare that's happening in your life, we would love to pray with you and walk alongside you in it. God created us for relationships. He didn't create us to walk through this life on our own. So let others walk through it with you. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you uh, just for what you have called us to be. God, that, uh, that you provide an opportunity for us to go from living in, in, in darkness to living, um, living in the light. God, I pray uh, that as we live our lives striving to be more like you, God, that we would feel encouraged that you have overcome the world and so we don't need to sweat it. God, um, I just pray for anyone in this room who does not have a relationship with you. I pray that you would just open up their heart to you. God, I pray for anybody in this room who might be a follower of 
Jesus, who, who their heart may be hardened, they may be hurting. God, I, I just pray for healing. God, you are the great healer. And so, God, I just pray that you would do a work in us to where we would feel the drive to drink your word, to drink that living water like nothing else. God, I pray that we would want to grow in you, that that, that, des- that, that desire and that hope would just be in us. God, I thank you for who you are and who you have created us to be. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Um, Amen.